I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Anne Harada, an actor and singer, probably best known for originating the role of Christmas Eve in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Avenue Q. In a career spanning more than three decades, Harada has also appeared on Broadway in M. Butterfly, Susical, Les Miserables, Nine to Five, and Cinderella, as well as in many off-Broadway and regional productions, including at City Center's Encores, Playwrights Horizons, The Paper Mill Playhouse, and The Muni. She most recently starred off-Broadway in Fairy Cakes by Douglas Carter Bean. Television audiences might know her best as Florence Menlove, the wife of the mayor, played by Alan Cumming, in the hit musical spoof Schmigadoon on Apple TV+, starring Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key. Hi, Anne. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Welcome to American Theatre Artists Online. Thank you for joining our podcast. It's my pleasure. Uh, we're so excited to talk to you. You know, you're an actor, singer, and most people listening probably know you best for originating the role of Christmas Eve in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Avenue Q. But you've done a lot more than just that, of course, and that's just a highlight. So we're going to talk about all, all the stuff you've done, everything, in 45 minutes. Bring it. <laughs> kidding but um so uh first of all before we start on anything else i just wanted to say that um you know we we have to dive in to avenue q because if we don't talk about avenue q fans will kill me um uh all the listeners will will be upset that we don't talk about so we'll just start right there and just get it out of the way since that's what most people uh listening in might might um might know you from so Tell me a bit about that process, Avenue Q, your journey with that show, and how you created this role of Christmas Eve that's, that has became so iconic. Well, uh, this is Avenue Q to me is the perfect example of why you should take random phone calls from people you don't know. <laughs> um, it turns out that when Bobby Lopez and Jeff Marks were writing uh, writing it or writing songs, you know, uh, to put into this mis mysterious project that wasn't really there yet because they were in the BMI workshop and they needed an Asian actor to sing, a, you know, the, the, uh, the few lines and everyone's a little bit racist. And so they asked their classmates, does anybody know an Asian actress who's available? And my friend Amanda Green uh, said, yes, actually, I know somebody. She gave them my phone number. They called me, and, you know, it's not a cold call out of the blue sky. I was like, yeah, I'm not busy Thursday. I'm happy to come and, you know, do this for you. And kind of like from that minute on, I was Christmas Eve. 
Um, it was more like I didn't let anybody else play Christmas Eve. I that I thought <laughs> the music was so funny and the material that they had already was so good. I just was like, I just want to see where this goes. Mm. So that's sort of how that started. Mm. And then you have that, you know, that really amazing, really hilarious song. Everyone's a little bit racist, not just you, but you know, with the cast leading right. leading the cast in that song. Um, did you get? crazy reactions after like when the show was brand new and it was just coming out did you get people coming backstage afterwards really talking to you about that because there's a real deep meaning in that song um yeah of course I think the whole show kind of like was what people were responding to so strongly Mm -hmm. not just that particular song although of course that's a huge part of it Mm -hmm. but just the fact that you know the whole idea of it that it was like kind of a, ta- a like a parody of a Sesame Street type show, right? So you, so then you've got that you've got that conceit. Then you've got the conceit of being able to see the puppeteers do work with the puppets, which you don't get on TV, right? Mm-hmm. So that that was interesting. That, you know, and then that we were actually covering subject matter that in a different world would be covered on Sesame Street. Like these are things you need to know about life everyone's a little bit racist mm-hmm. if you were gay you know whatever it is mm-hmm. um so that whole, just basically taking all of those kind of life lessons putting them into kind of a sesame street style perspective mm-hmm. and then putting that on the stage with the puppeteers you know the whole thing of it was just so fresh mm-hmm. and nobody had ever really seen anything like it before and i think that's sort of what captured people's imaginations Absolutely. And it went on to win the Tony Awards for Best Musical. I mean, that's a pretty huge feat. Shockingly. Shockingly. I think yes. a lot of people were were shocked just because they didn't expect. I, we were. Yeah. We were dumbfounded. But I mean, I think creativity and something that's different can often, you know, can often win, can often be recognized. Obvi- you know, yeah. obviously, you Which know, we, nice. we were just, you know, we were... We already knew Wicked was a juggernaut, and we sort of thought it was just going to win and take all the prizes. So that's, it was like, we're fine with it. Uh, We were very, very happy just to be nominated and and to be at the Tonys at all. So it was a great night. It's nice when they spread the wealth too and give and recognize various different shows, and it's not just one one big juggernaut all the time. So, um, and let's talk a bit about your role because you actually originated the role, uh, and so how you know a lot of actors that I've interviewed talk about originating a role on Broadway and what that means and what that feels versus like you know stepping into a role, and you've originated uh, uh, you know a few roles, but this one is is your you know probably your your stamp at this point what what do you what did you bring that you thought was purely you to the role and and what what's the experience of originating versus stepping into a role well when you step in there's a set you know although a lot of people don't like to use this word track mm-hmm. there's a set track <laughs> right mm-hmm. so that know like okay at this point in the show you have to go to stage left and change your skirt and then you come over you know i mean like there's this whole kind of like thing that's already been laid down by the previous performer Mm -hmm. and so you have you know where you need to be at any given point in the show and to fill the shoes basically of that previous performer now not they're not saying like you have to do it exactly the same way you can't but you can you're allowed to like bring your own twist to things but basically the track has been set. You know, you're not going to deviate very far off of what has already gone down. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you originate a role, you're making that track. Mm-hmm. You know, those decisions are up to you and, you know, and all the other people involved. So in a way, it's like you're cutting it out of full cloth. There's no preconceived notion. There's no, now you have to go off stage, right? Now, you know, there's none of that kind of stuff. You, um, Originating role is like a huge honor and responsibility and gift because it really means like things that you say, things that you feel will probably be incorporated into that role forever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's certainly true of Christmas Eve and me, um, you know, um, and I remember, you know, you get new script pages or whatever and Jeff Whitty would have written out the paragraph like in the dialect and I just said to him you have to stop doing that just write a paragraph what you want me to say 
and let me do all that other stuff. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That's not, you know, it's like you're, you know, the whole point of this is you're making jokes about character. You're making character-driven jokes and situation-driven jokes, not jokes about, like, I talk funny. Mm. You know, that's not the that's not going to hold, nor should it. Mm-hmm. That's cheap. Just, he said, I said, just write the jokes. I will say them like I say them. Don't worry. You know? Mm. And and there'll be an accent, and don't worry about trying to make it, you know, write that accent on the page. And he saw the wisdom of that. And yeah. That's amazing that you're able to contribute. And that's what I said about creating a, originating a character, you're really able to give your input. And, you know, that's the stamp that stays, as you said, for anyone who plays that character in the future in whatever production, anywhere from high school to community theater to regional theater across the country and the world, uh, that role is forever identified with you. And that's got to be a great, a great honor. Uh, and oh, it is. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we talked about having a bit um, and, and, you know, that's not all you've done on Broadway. You have a, a very diverse resume. Um throughout theater, not just Broadway, off-Broadway, elsewhere, regionally. But if we're going to focus just on Broadway for a second, you've been in multiple shows on Broadway in quite diverse roles, from M. Butterfly to Cinderella to 9 to 5 to Le Mis to Susical. I mean, it's been quite a landscape. What's a favorite marker for you? What have you learned from all that? You've had a lot of Broadway stage time in a lot of different kinds of roles. Yes. What have I learned? You know, every show teaches you something new. Right. Um, Susical, which is funny because we're going to have a Susical reunion at 54 Below in like a week Mm. or so. Yes. Um, And that was a really interesting show for me because that was the first show I was ever in as an ensemble member because they needed me to cover one of the older roles. Mm. So I had to be in it in the ensemble, even though I'm not a strong dancer at all. So, you know, me trying to learn the dancing for that show um, <laughs> and execute it on a nightly basis is basically I learned how much I didn't know. Mm. I, I know. I learned how much I couldn't do as right. well as how much I could do. Sure. Like, I, you know, somebody would be out and they would say, like, can you reverse the choreography in this song? And I'd be like, oh, oh absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to do even when you know what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, there's no way I could. There's no way. And like, even now I, I'm like, I think I should put in my writer that I cannot turn to the left. Um, that, you know, because I was just like, Oh no, I just don't have the brain capacity for that. Yeah. But I did find out because there was an emergency situation one time, um, that our the girl who played Gertrude McFuzz was sick. Her understudy was also sick. Mm. So we were kind of like, there's nobody to go on. And I said to the stage manager, I actually think I could go on in this part because I know I, I was with the show for so long, like for so many workshops and mm. in, you know, incarnations of it, but I knew the score really, really well. Mm. And I was like, I, I was like, I think I can do it. Mm. And she was like, okay. And then the next day I got a phone call, like at, you know, two o'clock, like come in and we're going to make you a costume. And you know, I'm like, all right, fine. Mm. So that's what happened. And I went on in an emergency because I yeah. was not a cover. I was not a, you know, designated cover. Yeah. For you jumped, you jumped the track, but, you jumped the track, you got off the track and you went into another track. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it was just because we were like, our back was to the wall. It was either that or mm. canceled the show. You know what I mean? There sure. was just nobody left to go on. Mm. And like literally to see every department kind of like go into emergency mode yeah. was thrilling like that costumes ran to the piece deal and they bought me an ice skating dress and then they sewed feathers all over it and then the, you know they had to paint shoes like this all happens like in one afternoon mm-hmm. you know the music department came in it was like you know like jamming the music into my head you know dance captain showed up trying to teach me her choreography it was like all this kind of stuff all at the same time mm-hmm. and then I went on and like I truly had no idea what was happening like half the time um and I remember like one time I walked on for a scene and realized no I wasn't in it yet and I had to walk back on (laughs) it happens yeah (laughs) like you know you know but like to me that was like such a thrill Mm -hmm. to do it and then do it like get away with it that like we actually did that show with me not really knowing a single thing like I knew the songs 
but only because I'd sung them in my shower. I, you know, I did the dance only because it was sort of similar to what I did in my actual track every time. Wow. So somewhere. me and put me in the right place. You know, it was like that. Right. Somewhere out there. Somewhere out there, there's a bootleg copy of someone in the audience who, who like videoed, you know, who, who recorded on oh, your yeah. cell phone. You playing sure Gertrude McFuzz. I'm, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm not sure that's, you know. They snuck in a video a, camera. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but it was, Amazing. you know, again, that sort of thing, when you mm. go like, I think I can, then you do it. It was a huge kind of like, oh, confidence booster for me. And like, no, I have the capability of this. I mm. I could do this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that then, was really funny. And then from something like that, which is a wonderful um, story and experience, um, to, to being in Les Miserables, for example, which is such a, you know, classic show, and you don't really think, right? People don't think of, of Asian people in Les Miserables, which is, you know, ridiculous. I spoke to Arbender, Arbender um, Robinson, who was the first African-American man, a black man, to play Marius on Le Mis, in Les Mis on Broadway. Oh, wow. A couple so of, cool. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, and so he said to well, me... In I, our particular company, it was chock full of Asians. Isn't that funny? It was... Yeah, because when I went in, Leia Salonga was Fountain, mm-hmm. and Ali Ewald was Cosette, and Adam Jacobs was Marius. It's like suddenly was the, the all-Asian version of Lemis. Um, it was like all-Asian production, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was thrilling. Yes. Like, it was so fun. Um, although that wasn't why. It, it was no. just because it was my Miz and to get a chance to do a show like that. But it was also, again, that was a very daunting job for me. Again, because I had to fall into somebody's track. Yeah. And I never replaced before on Broadway. And I, mm. you know, I don't think I knew how little time you really had mm-hmm. to like get it and then have to perform it. Mm. You have so little time with the actual company. Right. You have like, you know, you're put in. You know, but up until then, you're practicing with the stage manager and like, okay, and literally that lane is, is a bunch of tracks. Like you mm-hmm. have to be at certain places at certain times or somebody's going to die. I'll say it's dangerous. Right? Yeah, it can be dangerous. So, yeah, yeah it's nothing but like be in your place. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't well, miss a bit. And people people don't know that that's what's the hardest, right? It's the making sure you're standing in the right place. You've got the right prop. Right. You've got your costume change. Not the singing and the dancing and the, you've got oh, all no, that. Nobody cares the singing yeah. or the dancing. No, it <laughs> right. matters not. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Just don't die right. and don't make anybody else die because you're in the wrong place. Right, that's the worst. Yeah, so did you get brilliant. To, who did you get to play in Les Miserables? It was Madame Thenardier. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's pretty. That's a pretty cool comedic role. Uh, and for someone like you to take on and give your own spin, I wish I had seen it because I can imagine you did your own thing and it was probably really interesting and fun. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was hard. I'll say that. It was hard. Sure. Um, my first week, um, Gary Beach was Martin, Martin RDA. Oh, I love And him. he, oh, he was amazing, a legend. And he missed his entrance for this, for the inn. Mm. And I, I was just out there going like, I don't know how to start the song. <laughs> like, even if I, but like, even if I could have, like, why would I? But. I mean, I literally did not know the beginning of the song because I was still really new sure. to the show. And you would think, like, I would just have learned the whole song. No, not me. Just I just learned my part. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and, like, you know, and everybody else on stage knew the song, obviously. And, like, all three of his covers were on stage at the end. And we all just looked at each other and, like, he's not coming. He's not coming. What are we going to do? like, I don't know, <laughs> looking up to the side, like looking at the stage managers, then making kind of like, I don't know, you know, face. And I'm like, well, somebody fix this. This is a bad thing. <laughs> well, the, the conductor is just keeping going like, oh, he'll show up. It'll be fine. I'm like, no, no, he's nowhere to be found. So what did you do? So like literally for 32 bars, they told us that's how long it was later. For oh. 32 bars, we improvised in chitter chatter, you know. <laughs> hey, where is that old Tenardier? <laughs> like that kind of wow, jazz. that's what you do. Huh? A lot of jostling and you know that kind of mess. And I was literally out there going, like, should I try to start? Mm. No, because I don't know it. You know, like, mm. and I'm thinking to myself, it's like this. Like the audience could probably 
right. That's hilarious. Come so, on, everybody. Everybody, join in. So that's, I mean, those are those are definitely lessons, right? I mean, when things like that happen, you you sharpen your skills, you're always on your toes, and you really are ready for anything at that point. Yeah. I mean, that was as terrifying a 32-bar span of time as I can ever remember. And then when he finally showed up, and I was like, thank God he's not dead. Like, my whole time I was like, he's had a heart attack. You know, like something really bad has happened. Right. Why would he not be here? Right. You know, his dressing room was pretty close to the stage and there was no reason really. <laughs> Why not? The answer is he did not have his monitor on in his dressing room. Uh, he did not know mm-hmm. it was time because usually his dresser came and put his clothes on for this scene. But his dresser was late because something bad happened to somebody else on the other side of the theater. Mm-hmm. And the dresser had to deal with that costume malfunction you see so people, everything yeah. late yeah you know what i mean so so like no dresser no pants <laughs> <laughs> it's a machine right yeah theater is it a was machine like the whole thing. Yeah. yeah so like when he finally shows up it's like he's buttoning his pants he's kind of getting trying to get his jacket on oh. i'm like i don't care he's not dead we can go on with the show <laughs> Well, there you are, you know, on Broadway for 32 bars, improvising, creating your best uh, possible transition into when. Terrible, terrible. (laughs) But that really um, strengthens your nerve. It it, uh, sharpens your wit and it keeps you um, on your toes. And and, and that clearly is something that you've learned over your many years and shows on Broadway. I wanted to ask, I wanted to go back a little bit in time and ask you a bit about M Butterfly because that's on your resume and that is such a historic uh, show on Broadway when it first opened. It was such an important and well, why did you do you think it's important and and, and what did what was that experience like for you to be in? Was that your first well, show? Yeah, it was my Broadway debut. Wow. Um, and it had just you know it had won the Tony in I guess spring of eighty eight. I guess that's when it won the Tony. And when I I remember watching the Tonys and seeing like scenes from the show because back then they used to do scenes from the plays. Mm -hmm. And it was so striking and interesting and beautiful, like just visually. And then I just thought the writing was so interesting and amazing. I immediately went out and like borrowed all the plays by David Henry Wong I could find and started reading them, you know. Um, It turns out so I was working as a production assistant um, for a Broadway producer at the time. Hmm. And that experience led, you know, the casting director on that particular play turned out to be the same casting director as for M. Butterfly. And she found out that I was a performer and I invited her to some cabaret I did at the duplex or something. And she came. And after watching me, she she got me an appointment to replace an M Butterfly. Wow! And I went in, and you know, I knew it. I had no sense of what was happening, and I got it. Mm. Um, and I sort of look at that whole time as like this is what happens when you make connections and you don't really know like why. You know what I mean? But like things sort of happen, and you don't know why. Mm. And that was one of those things where it was just sort of like, I was there, she, she, I came up in her mind when they were trying to recast this part and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, it was so random. Um, and I was extremely lucky to get into that company because, you know, all the actors who were a part of M Butterfly were so gifted um, and amazing. And I think, obviously, David is one of the great talents of, you know, yes. our generation. Yeah. Um, and what he's given to the world already, um, I just think is so amazing. And and this particular play was so empowering because it was like Asian, you know, an example of like an Asian character who was in charge, an Asian character who was really running the show, as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. um, and was not, you know, everything about that play subverts the whole story of Madame Butterfly. Yeah. Um, where, you know, basically the Asian person is the victim yeah. of a lot of terrible decisions by white guys. Mm. Um, yes. And in this one, it's the opposite. Mm. Um, and I just thought, this is so um, 
cool and amazing to be a part of, of a breakthrough show like this. I couldn't have been more thrilled that that was my Broadway debut. Yeah. And I feel like I met so many of my close, close friends from working on that show. Yeah. So, well, really, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing to have as your debut. And I think it's, it's really wonderful, as you said, the, the work of David Henry Huang and, and all the things that he's done. And so and, and that's such an important play. So I'm glad that that, that that was there and that we could talk about it a bit. So let's talk a bit about your work off Broadway and elsewhere in theater. I mean, I've noticed you've made your mark on several roles, uh, including in in shows like Pacific Overtures, Falsetto Land. Uh, God of Carnage, as well as in like the Muni and other other places doing things in, in shows like 42nd Street, Mamma Mia, Gypsy. I mean, these are pretty, again, really diverse roles. Did you ever think that you'd get to play Rosie in Mamma Mia or Electra in Gypsy? I mean, in some ways, oh, you, I- you defy typecast. I mean, you seem to just be there and, and, and they think of you and or, I mean, how does it happen? It's a wonderful thing, but... It is. It's, it's really just due to the vision of like a director and a producer, you know, because at the Muni, it's Mike Isaacson and then whoever is directing each particular show. And like whenever they start, you know, brainstorming about the season, it's like, well, what about Amparata? And if I'm available, I will always do it because they're always thinking out of the box. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For me, um, I, yeah, I never thought I would ever play Electra. I was thrilled to play Electra. Um, and also to play Mrs. Wormwood in Matilda yes. and and Rosie. Well, Rosie yeah. was a part that I got in for five times in New York. You know, five times. It's a perfect uh, role for you, I think. And I, it, I, it is a perfect yeah. role for me. But like, I literally was like out of ideas to audition anymore. <laughs> but you know, for Broadway, Mama Mia. I mean, I was like, I only have so many pairs of cargo shorts. I don't know what else to wear. <laughs> I. You know, like I was literally right. at the end of my rope, looking at the sides, trying to come up with some mm. new take on it, you know. Mm. And I was like, I can't. I, you know, like they either just have to like give in or like I never play this part. And I never did on Broadway. And that's fine. Right. <laughs> but to get to do it at the Muni was a real treat because I loved that cast so much and we got along so great, you know. Yeah. But it's just great that you're able to put your mark on these roles that are not roles that are specifically written for someone who's Asian. And I think it's great because it's not about you being Asian. It's about you. It's about Anne Harada. It's about, and yet it is about you when you come on stage and are Asian. Uh, some young Asian uh, young girl who loves theater is sitting in the audience going, I can do that. I, I can right. get a chance, right? Well, that's the point about representation. And I'm mm-hmm. sure all the other Asian actors are, are any actor of color will say this mm-hmm. is that you can't be it unless you see it mm-hmm. i mean for a lot of people you know mm-hmm. it's hard to put yourself into that kind of a, a place where it's like oh you know for me it's like i, I was lucky that when i where i grew up in hawaii all the, the- actors in community theater were all everything you know because mm-hmm. There was no choice. It wasn't like there was so much of one group that they could mm-hmm. be in all anything production. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And so I was able to see, you know, Asians in lead roles, Asians playing funny people, Asians playing mean people, Asians, but you know, whatever. That I just, I never limited myself mm. because I was able to see all different, you know, all different kinds of performers on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know, even with the very limited kind of representation on television and film that we had back then, mm-hmm. it was almost enough to go like, oh, well, it's possible. Like, you know, other people have done it and it is possible. Mm. Um, and, and that's what I'm hopeful that every time I'm on a stage or in a TV show or whatever, people will like, oh, it's possible, you know? Mm. And for me specifically, it's like, I'm old. I'm like a character woman. I'm not a young girl anymore. So it's like, and I don't have to be like the prettiest girl. You know what I mean? Right. I can also be funny. I can also be, you know, short. I can mm-hmm. also be a little dumpy. It's fine. You know, like you can find a place if, right. if you're right for the part. Yeah, That's the, really all I'm. 
Oh, that's great. There isn't just one lane for any, any one group or one person. And there are many lanes and you can also change lanes as you change and evolve and grow as a person uh, and age. Age is a good thing because you can age into other, other parts and things that you might not have done when you were younger. Now, so let's, since you started talking about it, let's talk, and I did, about Asian American representation. I mean, you've been doing this for a while and in a way you forged, I think, a path for others uh, especially in lead roles in musical theater that we don't necessarily consider to be Asian roles. And I think that's what we were just talking about. And um, and as an Asian woman, even more specifically, I can think, I can't think of too many others. You mentioned Leah Salonga already. Uh, Ruthie, Ruthie Ann Miles. There's Ruthie a few. Miles. Yeah, there's a few of you. But I mean, it's not a lot in the last 50 years. If you go back and look, I mean, and what you were saying, it's really. Um, so do you think things are getting better? And for actors on Broadway uh, who are not white and, and, and beyond, do you know, do you think? Uh, yes, I, I absolutely think that, that it's getting better because I remember when I started, mm, Yeah, you know, how few there were. Um, and even in the representation in the ensemble, I don't know that we've made any great strides. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I feel like way back when I started, what, late 80s, I guess. You know, if you were lucky, you'd get two Asians in the ensemble, mm. right? A guy and a girl. Yeah. If you were lucky. Yeah. Usually you'd only get one or the other. Mm. But sometimes there'd be two and you'd be like, oh, we hit the jackpot. Mm. Um, and I don't see that that has increased necessarily. Mm. Unless it's a spe- very specific show like, you know, King and I or Hamilton. Um, I feel like in general we are being seen more for different parts and and depending on who the person is, I mean, Conrad Rickamora just got cast as Seymour in Little Shop and mm-hmm. I could not be more vocal about it. Yes. Um, you know, uh, stuff like that. I feel like people are kind of opening their minds up a but, little bit more. But this ensemble thing that you're talking about, I get this feeling, having been on the other side of the table a lot as a director and a choreographer, you know, here in the D.C. area, there comes a time, it's really funny, you're sitting around a table and then people go, oh, and nobody ever says it out loud, but there's this feeling like, oh, now there's too many Asians. Like, you know, like, like if you have too many talented people who are Asian in the ensemble, then it becomes something else. Then suddenly it's a show with all these Asian people in it. And I'm like, wait a minute, cast the best people in the ensemble. If there happen to be three or four Asians, that's fine. Because the white, you know, when there's all white people, nobody, I mean, now people say, but for the last 200 years, nobody said anything when it was all white people. In the, so um, my friend Eric Jordan Young, too, who I interviewed a, a couple of 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 weeks ago said, I, when I first started back in the 90s as a, as a black man, I was auditioning for that one slot in the ensemble, that one black man who danced in the ensemble. And I thought to myself, oh my God, you know, all you had was that, all you thought you, you had was that one slot. Right. It's terrible. I did seem to go with Eric Jordan Young. Yes. He's his whole, he's his own show. Yes. Like, correct. There's no reason why Eric Jordan Young should ever be like competing for a role in the ensemble. He's a, star correct you know what I yes mean? and it it like it breaks my heart to think like that's where he started and mm-hmm. you know like that's what our mindset was because we were used to so little well that's you that's or, what i'm saying you've seen the transition because when you started that was kind of where it was you were lucky if you got a part if you got anything you know as a person right. of color and now so things are getting better it's opened up some more there are a few more lead roles here and there there's a few features there's a few uh, things, but you're right. I think in the ensemble of these big musicals, which really is how people earn a living, a lot of people, that's all a lot of the bread and butter roles. Um, you don't necessarily have um, always uh, more than one or two slots. So right. something to think about. Well, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's impossible to say, like, for, you know, there's always like shows that you feel like, oh, we're moving the needle. It's going, mm-hmm. it's going to, it's, going to be better and then you just feel like and then the next season comes along you're like no we went back a little bit (laughs) (laughs) two step what is it one step forward two steps back is that the yeah it always sort of feels like that yeah Um, there's a lot of that um i just i just i just you know know that uh because of those studies that uh that apac puts out about like representation in every group Mm -hmm. um kind of like year by year you look at it you're like oh these stats are not Mm -hmm. improving no um and I'm so I hope that this kind of like what we like to call like the post pandemic kind of time on Broadway is going to reflect like a, a greater 
acknowledgement of that. Um, you know, it's amazing that so many black playwrights have shows going on in yeah. this season. Um, and I can only hope that that will stay mm-hmm. and not go back down. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right, right. Future in future seasons yeah. because it's really hard to say because you know you can look at the stats for this season and go like well see nobody went to the theater it's like there's still a pandemic <laughs> right what do you expect yeah you got like, to be realistic right now it's hard to judge really kind of like show by show no, was it a success did people show up it's like I don't know did they like mm-hmm. how how many how many people did we not did we lose because there's a pandemic right if you've got anyone in a seat that's a good that's a good thing at this day this day exactly. age, with everything going on um and i spoke you know i have a, a good friend that i went to a college with named yuan chung who lives on the west coast he's a asian uh, uh, uh chinese uh, american actor and he said to me the thing with us as asians he said once um we're the silent we're the quiet minority we don't make a lot of noise we don't push as much as we should that's what he told me what do you think about that oh i think that's absolutely true yeah you know i think as a culture like culturally um our mindset has just been like just try to keep your head down and fit in and work hard right Mm -hmm. like that's sort of the asian american thing um but that doesn't necessarily help us in this industry and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help kind of like our perception in the wider world necessarily either. Um, I do, I feel actually that Asians are sticking out and standing up for themselves more than they ever have before. And I find that very empowering Good. and exciting. Yes. Um, you know, that being said, I don't know that anybody cares. Mm. I haven't actually seen any proof that anybody's listening or really cares except that like you know oh we had a movie you know like uh, they (laughs) spent money on rich asians or you know whatever and then Um, that's it right yeah Yeah. or like oh now we have an asian superhero like this is all great you know like but like let's keep going let's not just stop it's not enough yeah there is a tendency there has always a tendency when you when you break a barrier to go okay we broke the barrier okay done it can be stifling. We still got to keep going. Yeah, we still got to work. Gotta be a momentum. You got to keep. Well, I wanted to talk about something that you meant. You mentioned earlier um, growing up in Hawaii, and I think that's really interesting because and, and having a bit of that feeling of sort of um, everyone's doing everything, and you know, you didn't maybe feel so different. I guess Hawaii, everything is so different in Hawaii that everyone feels sort of. <laughs> I don't explain it. When you grow up on an island, I imagine. I mean, I grew up in Brazil, so it's a whole other thing. But growing up in Hawaii, what was that like? And how did you get your start in theater? Was it something you always, as a little girl, were you like, I'm going to do theater? This is what I'm going to do? Or did you have someone inspire you or a mentor? How did you get oh, to. No, no, no. It's nothing like that. Nothing I like mean, that. I, you know, I, I came to the theater just because I saw shows at school. And, um, I was remember being really impressed by like the senior production of Godspell. Well, it wasn't the senior, but like the high school production mm. of Godspell. And mm. I was like in sixth grade, right? Yeah. I'm looking at this production going like, it's this play is really good. And these, and these people are really, really good. They're better than, you know, what you think a high school production would be. Mm. And I thought, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to try that. So when I got to high school, I auditioned for plays and I did some plays and I loved it. And I, that's sort of how it started, you know? And my parents would take me to shows when I was a little girl. Like I remember seeing Sound of Music, and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and like whatever, like, you know, on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I started thinking of like theater as somewhere that I just wanted to be, that I just really, really enjoyed it. And I just wanted to keep working on it. So when I graduated, I decided I was going to study theater in college, you know, not because I thought I was going to be an actor, just because I just wanted to work in the theater, Hmm. you know, and I had no Hmm. idea kind of like where that was going to land. But, you know, at no point did I go like, I'm an actor. I'm going to be, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be on Broadway. None of that. There was none of that. Hmm. Um, And it took me a long time even once I sort of moved to New York and uh, started working for this producer, like I said, again, that was because I just knew I wanted to work in the theater and I didn't really know where I was going to be. 
Right. And I figured working for a producer is the fastest way to figure that out because you'll be exposed to all the different jobs. Mm. And uh, that's pretty much what happened. Wow. And then that led you to, like you said earlier, to get to the connection for M Butterfly to, to go in there and, yeah. and start and get started. And what a journey it's Why been. I, you know, I, I had, you know, gotten my equity card on an, an off-Broadway show before that. It wasn't mm. like I totally wasn't doing any theater. Right. I was doing theater, but it was just was... I just wasn't, I don't know, what, what am I trying to say? It wasn't like a focused kind of like, I'm going to go out there and audition for everything. You know, it wasn't like that at all. Right. It felt just sort of like jobs I would fall into, mm-hmm. kind of. Right, it wasn't, it wasn't that you had this like drive and ambition specifically to perform on the stage. No. As a, it just Correct. kind of, you were in the, you were in the environment you were there doing a job, and then and then it kind of developed naturally. It sounds pretty organic. Yeah, it was. It felt very organic. Now, did you have any resistance? Because a common theme I hear from a lot of, of Asian American actors, or also uh, children of immigrants, or children who come whose parents, you know, like I'm a child of an immigrant, and you're, when you're a child of an immigrant, they want you to like, you know, be a doctor. Uh, uh, a surgeon, a uh, lawyer, those are the acceptable jobs. <laughs> At least to, and then when you say, oh, I want to do theater in the arts, they go, oh God, how are you going to pay your bills? You know, do you, did you get any of that or, were, or did you have a more no. open, supportive? That's great. No, my parents yeah. were incredibly supportive. Yeah. Well, first of all, they were, they were the children of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was their generation. Yes. So by the time I came around, I think they, <laughs> you know, had sort of, sort of went like, whatever she wants to do, she should do. They were kind of at that point. Nice. You know, of course, they. You know, my mother would have loved it if I'd become a lawyer. She was pushing me to become a lawyer. Um, but I did not pick that clue up ever. Um, and she, and because, the, well, she loves to talk. And yeah, <laughs> basically, like, that's the criteria for being a lawyer. I'm like, no. Um, I think that you know, other maybe other people definitely. I can see their parents, you know, not being so thrilled about that career choice. And I'm not sure that my parents were that thrilled about my career choice either. But they kept it to themselves, mm. and they just encouraged me. Yes. Yeah, and they took you to a lot of theater. It sounds like you were exposed to yeah, a lot of theater as a child. A lot of theater growing up. Yeah. yeah, that makes a big difference too, because if you can see it, then you. And do you remember ever being a? A young person and looking into the audience, whether it was at the community theater level or the school level or even professional at the tours that you saw, ever seeing anyone who was Asian? What do you mean, on stage? Yes, on stage. Oh, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, not any national tours or anything like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of Chorus Line, where, you know, Connie has to Connie has that but like, role. <laughs> God, God bless Bjork, Bjork Lee and her, her, her role. Um, um, but, the, but yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, that you didn't have that uh, representation, and yet because you had support from your parents and because there was there was exposure to the arts, you, you were able to find your way. But there were, you know, but like I said, in community theater in Hawaii, there were tons yeah. of Asian right. actors. That's where you were, saw you know, all right, great. You know. So I was going to ask you this question because I'm just curious. This is my own curiosity. Um, I've seen you on stage. I've seen you on the small screen uh, in a few things. And I'm always fascinated by the way you work because it seems so... I've never seen anyone who's a comedian who does a lot of... You know, it's not just the only thing you do, but who is really good with comedy, but also has a real natural ability. It's like natural. It's not forced. Whereas a lot of comedy sometimes comes off very... Like there's a lot of work behind it and you see the work. For you, what I've seen is... I'm curious how you collaborate to create the character, to create... Uh, on stage specifically, How do you, what do you need and want from your creative collaborators? How do you create these characters? Because it seems so like, oh yeah, that could be a person walking down the street doing that comedy. I don't know how you do it. I mean, others do it too, but I've seen you do it in a way that's quite unique. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, it makes sense. I just don't know how to explain it. <laughs> right, because it's hard to... me, it's just like, well, that's... I'm just trying to be normal. I'm just trying to make this character as believable as I can, mm. right? Um, and most, most of that means that like, I put a lot of who I am into whatever character it is mm-hmm. that like, no matter how ridiculous or whatever ca- the character is, it's still a part of me. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm trying to make it as like everyday 
for me as I possibly can. Um, and so I don't really know how to say, I mean, I, yeah, I, guess I, sort of feel like, I guess I sort of feel like, you know, my relationships with my coworkers mm-hmm. is basically like, we all come into the room with an idea of who we are, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's just basically working together to try to find that we're all in the same world. Mm. Right. I think that's sort of, I think that's sort of the goal. Mm. Like, you know, you can have a whole lot of disparate comedy people together. Like we do in fairy caves. Um, and very different styles and very different approaches, but somehow when we're all together, it's like, well, we're, we're all existing in the same place. Mm. And, and I sort of feel like, well, that's what it's like on and off stage Mm. too. Yeah. You're creating a world. You're creating a new world for the audience. Yeah. Correct. And then you find your place in that world. And that's probably why it feels to me anyway, watching so natural because you've, you've figured out with your coworkers, with your colleagues, your collaborators, sort of where you fit in that world. And then you deliver whatever the character is with realistic intentions, right? That's what, that's what you're saying. I think that's sort of the goal of all actors, honestly. That's probably what it is, is that there's, that's, I guess what I was trying to say. It's, it's acting first, whether you're playing something funny or sad or whatever it is. But then when you're playing something funny, that's why it comes out natural because you're acting first. It's not the comedy. Well, every comedy to me is not, it it has to be based in truth, Mm. you know, obviously. And so you can't, you can make, I mean, anybody could like kind of like yuck up any kind of line and like make it funny, but the best comedy comes out of character, mm. you know, and relationships. So to me, it's like once you establish like who, who, you know, who you're with, who you're not, who you don't like, you know, whatever the world is, right? Once you, and then you just play that as honestly as possible. I think the comedy comes very naturally. I don't, I don't feel like we've ever worked on like, yeah, let's make that moment funnier. You know, like that's not ever the goal. It's right. more like, let's just make that moment make more sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably what I'm seeing and observing. So, okay. Since we're talking about funny and we're talking about environments and we're talking about a collaborative cast, that's all trying to create a world, even though it's not theater strictly, we have to talk about, because it is theater in so many ways. It's on the small screen, but it's Schmigadoon. What a riot. What a fun show. Um, A lot of folks, I'm sure, that are listening want to hear your thoughts on your involvement in in Schmigadoon, where you play, (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing already, Florence Menlove, the wife of the mayor, who's played by Alan Cumming, in this wonderful, what is Schmigadoon? It's like a spoof of, explain to us, in, if, if you can, give us the pitch on Schmigadoon for those who aren't watching, and they should if they're you not. Know, it's like a parody of the Golden Age musicals, mm. right? Um, that's sort of how it was presented to us anyway. Um, and obviously, the name of it indicates exactly kind of like the style that we're in. If you understand Brigadoon, then you will understand Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon is so much better, though, than Brigadoon. There's a land, there's a mysterious place, you know, that two innocent modern-day people stumble into and then realize that they're stuck in a musical. Right. Much as the two city dwellers in Brigadoon Mm -hmm. stumble into this place realize it's some town that only shows up every hundred years. You know, like, okay, okay, the two conceits are a little far-fetched, but the idea is the same. Like, here we are, we're like normal, uh, contemporary people, and now we live in a musical. Mm. And we have to figure out how to get out of this town, or whatever the goal is, you know what I mean? Right. And so in Schmigadoon, the whole, the hard part is not for them is not the idea that like, oh, we're in a musical. The hard part is we have to get out of this town and to do that, we have to find true love. Solve our, solve our issues and find true love. Solve this, yeah. you know, to solve this you know, problem. Yeah. It's like it's, we know how, we just, don't, we just have to get past this part. And is, we don't know going to decide that mm-hmm. we have true love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It is we don't so, know that 
so much Leprechaun's fun. Leprechaun's gonna come back or whatever. Yeah, so. it is so much fun to watch. It is such a joy from start to finish. I really couldn't stop watching it. I had to binge through the whole thing. There's so many references to every musical, and I guess the more you know uh, and have the history of musicals under your belt, the more you find. But even if you don't know anything about musicals, it's just such a funny, crazy show. Um, what's the song that your character sings? What's the title of the My song? It's called He's a Queer One, That Man Oh My, <laughs> which is almost a direct uh, lift from a song in Carousel mm. um, called What's the Use of Wondering, Wondering. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a song that based, you know, basically it's like, let's, you know, why talk about like all the things that your perfect man would do? This is the man that I love and this is what I'm stuck with and there's no point in wondering if he could be any better because he's the man I love. It's like one of those kinds of songs, right. and all of the and and all of the kind of like in in uh, he's a queer one are throwbacks to kind of like those he's my man and I love him songs like Bill mm-hmm. from Showboat, um, and of course it's a, a direct reference to he's a you're a queer one Julie Jordan mm-hmm. from Carousel and can't help um, loving can't help loving that man can't help loving that man yes. Right. All of those kinds of thoughts, where it's right. like, Showboat. it doesn't matter, he can beat me, I love him anyway, kind of songs. <laughs> right. Except, of course, um, Florence's spin on the song is that he's so gentle, and he's so kind, and he's so sweet, and he never, you know, like, looks at other women, not sort of recognizing that those might actually give, you know, be clues to something else going on. Um, <laughs> and so... What I love about that song, what I loved about that character is not only that kind of like her innocence, um, (laughs) but also kind of like, kind of like her complete trust in him, uh, her husband and and how much she adores him really, truly, truly adores him. And, you know, um, that there's something very, to me, sweet about that kind of unconditional love and acceptance that to me tallies with what eventually happens in there story that she is so happy for him to realize his potential that it she's willing to kind of take the hit for herself do you know what i mean and i think that that's uh, really lovely it is it's a wonderful show people need to to watch and you know we haven't spoiled anything and we've kept it sort of no i don't uh, we have we've done a great job of sort of talking around some of the things but people need to watch it so that if they haven't seen it and they're listening schmigadoon on apple tv plus it's such a joy um what was it like working i was going to ask you know what was it like working on the small screen versus the stage but then i forgot and then i remembered that you've been there before with smash another musical theater theme tv show which a lot of us loved love loved um several years ago so you've been there before playing playing um you were the stage manager i remember that yes and that was so much fun so you're doing these roles on the small screen that are roles that you might do in a theater but yet adapting them for the small screen so how do you you do that so well what is your take on it again and maybe it's the the natural the truth um approach yeah i mean although of course <laughs> let's let's not let's not um make any bones about it there was not that much about smash that was based in truth correct yes um, true. about the theater and like what goes on in the <laughs> yes theater. true 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 you know, i'm just not gonna lay it out there i love that show i will fight to the death for that show but i'm not gonna tell you that it, it was in any way based in reality well just no. like people watch you know boston legal and it's not necessarily how what it's like to be a lawyer either so that's okay I would hope, <laughs> yes. but you know, like, what do I know? I'm not a lawyer. You know, right. I don't know, you don't know as much. Right. Um, yeah. Um, it's the same thing. It's just, it's the same thing. You're just yeah. trying to exist in the world that is created for mm. you, right? Yeah. Um, in Smash, I didn't have that much to do. I was mm. the stage manager. I rarely had any scripted lines. Mm. You know, my job was basically to sit next to Jack Davenport and make notes on a pad or... <laughs> Pretend I was typing into a computer or looking at my stopwatch. I mean, these were not these are not hard tasks. And yet, I remember um, you, which is hilarious that I remember that character so vividly. And so, obviously, you did something right. Well, here's the thing: there are very rarely is a stage manager uh, portrayed True. in a show about the theater, and of course, they run the freaking show. Correct. Um, but because it's just not a very glamorous job, people mm. tend to sort of omit them from the narrative. Oh my God, <laughs> and so I true. think that 
um, because they did it with Smash, that character has stuck in a lot of people's psyches. Mm. I mean, I went to London to see my friend be in Hamilton, right? Okay. Uh, I went to London. I went backstage at Hamilton. Those stage managers went apeshit. <laughs> they were like, you're Linda, you're Linda. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, yeah. And you're working on Hamilton. <laughs> like, like, right, why is it? But it's funny who, how, who you know, but it's cares? funny how much, but that's why these TV, TV roles are super important because you reach millions and millions and millions more people than you can in the theater. And so when you play even a small role or a supporting role in a, in a show, if it's memorable, people will remember you. Do you get recognized more on the street after Schmigadoon? I wonder, um, uh, or is it the same? I feel like, I have not noticed a thing. Well, I it's been pandemic. It's been pandemic times, and you've been hiding, and we've all been hiding during pandemic, and you're out on the street now. But, but I think you're going to see more and more. I mean, Schmigadoon is a riot. It's a fun show. It's like in terms of word of mouth, it's certainly um, on Apple TV Plus has been sort of um, the talk of the season, or maybe it's just among us theater folk. I don't know, but I, I, I'm getting a lot of vibrations from it a lot of people talking about it so um yeah so and i think it'll continue i'd love to see you on another one of those kind of shows or if there's a season two or you know just more more of you on the small screen doing what you do so well because i think you do it so greatly and and i really enjoy it but you know i look at my my clock and we are almost out of time which is crazy it's it's like flown by and um it's been so great talking to you but before we go i want to be sure that people have a chance to stay updated on you and what you're working on and where can they go to find out what's next for you. Um, do you have a social media account that you like to use or a website? Or I, how can people stay I there? do. I'm on Twitter yes. at Amparata, at Amparata. I'm on Instagram as I am Amparata. And I'm on Facebook. Wonderful. So, really, so we people, should all get off of that. Probably. <laughs> yes, probably. But, you know, some people still use it for for work and, 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 and business stuff. But so, um, so wonderful. And, and I, I know that you just um, are, are finishing up a show off Broadway and then you're going to go on to, do you have any plans or are you going to take a break or what are you, what are you planning next? Well, I'm just planning the holidays to be the yes. holidays for once. And I'm kind of excited about that. Yes. Um, nice. I don't really have any set plans. Mm-hmm. I have things that might happen. I have, you know, like stuff like that. I don't but really you, have anything yeah. set, but, they did just announce this week uh, on, that on Disney Plus, the movie that I shot last summer, Disenchanted, will be premiering in fall 2022, oh. starring, of course, Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey, uh, reunited mm. in their roles from Enchanted. Mm. Um, and this is the sequel, and we had an amazing time shooting this in Ireland, and I cannot wait to see what it looks like. So this is Disenchanted in, in the fall of 22, on Disney yeah. Plus, so people Disney need Club. to get their their subscriptions if they don't have one already. If and and so you're on Apple TV Plus on Schmigadoon, and then you'll be on Disney Plus on with Disenchanted, which is wonderful to hear. Right. Thanks, thanks for that that scoop. I did not know that, so I'm really excited to hear. So, Anne, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing stuff about you and more about you on uh, American Theater Artists Online. We, it's really been great having you on our podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Some men like to fight and curse. They smoke and drink and yell. Leave you flat or even worse, they stay and make life hell. But my man is gentle, as soft and sentimental as any lace adorned a valentine. He's a queen. Some men stumble home at dark, want dinner and dessert. Other men have eyes that spark at every passing skirt. But my man loves cooking. I've never caught him looking at other gals more young, petite, or fine. He's a queer one, that man, oh. This was literally me in high school. Show me any other.
other man more tender or expressive. I only wish that nightly he were slightly more aggressive. There it is. Sometimes it may seem like he is too good to be true. Like there's a man that I can't see just aching to break through. I wish I could free him so I could finally see him the way he truly is and let him shine. He's a queer one, that man, oh mine. Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.